0: Everybody looks to be loved. Yeah. So just love. And I, I mean this not like in the mammy-pammy weird way, but actually send love energy out into the world and you get blessed in ways that are incredible. So that's kind of what I would try to do. I would, at the end of my sportscast, I'd say, the body is the temple of the spirit. Take good care.
1: This is Remaking Manhood, the Healthy Masculinity Podcast. I'm Mark Green. And I'm Charles Matthews. Join us for powerful conversations with the men and women leading the Healthy Masculinity Movement. For generations, our culture has taught us a narrow and limiting set of rules for how to be a man. The end result? Epidemic levels of isolation and violence for boys and men, and for the multitude of others whose lives we impact but we can make a different choice. We can
2: choose a masculinity of connection and in return have healthier relationships, more meaningful lives, and maybe even live longer. Every episode you'll hear honest conversations designed to show you what breaking out of the man box can look like and feel like. Welcome to Remaking Manhood. We're glad you're here. In this episode, Mark and I have a virtual sit down with Jan Hutchins. The conversation we had was wide-ranging, warm, and open. It really did feel like a group of guys sitting in front of a hearth, sharing ideas and support. I met Jan when he was co-facilitating a Mankind Project men's initiation weekend. Jan's been involved with MKP for decades, and he has helped scores of men down a path toward a more authentic and balanced masculinity. Jan started out his career as a sports broadcaster and TV producer, and even helped run an Emmy-winning children's show. But like many men who seem to have it all figured out, Jan still felt a gap, a sense of something incomplete. In this podcast, Jan talks about his experience at a transformative rite of passage, where he started to fill in that gap. Jan, Mark, and I also talk about race, how to bridge divides, and the value of male friendships for anchoring, informing, and directing our lives. Pull a chair up to the fire. You're invited into this conversation. Hey, welcome everybody. I'm Charles Matthews. I'm here with Mark Green and Jan Hutchins. Uh, Jan was just explaining he he doesn't really know why he signed up to be on the podcast, so we're just going to exist in the unknowing right now. That's fine. That's fine. So, Jan, are you you described yourself as a retired guy at this point? But you've been involved with with men's work and these men's conversations for a while, right? What's how did you get started?
0: A child who was coming to my yoga class at uh, in Los Gatos had a brain aneurysm mm. and died suddenly he, well he, they put him on life support because they're going to harvest his organs his mother and i had sat in my as she waited for her child to come out of the yoga class about men and how hard it is to raise a boy and because her man was in with was wisdom keepers or something rather but it was kind of like pre-mankind project and um for some reason like I was a priest or something, she asked me to come and be with them as they turned off the life support for their child. Canceled the trip, did it. Thought it was the right thing to do. As we leave, the, the surviving son says, you should come to our house tomorrow to see my dad's group. The, all these men who are out here waiting are in my dad's group. And it turned out to be a, a model of something I, I kind of wanted. I was in a bad state mentally living a good life but still not working out things weren't working for me i didn't have closeness and i didn't know why i had success but i didn't have closeness and i went to this circle they passed around cigars and we played basketball and we did stuff and i i didn't want to smoke the cigar so i sort of just chewed on it and it made me well that group is where I'm, i ran into the mankind project i had a Carlos Castaneda sort of experienced leaving that place. And by the next morning, I recognized this thing that they had was worth having, this closeness with men. And it served me very, very well. The Mankind Project really served me.
2: So you you remember recognizing or wanting closeness with men. You're, you remember that not not
0: being present in your life. You knew it was an absence. It wasn't presence with men. It was when I did my work on the Mankind Project weekend, I my deep shadow was. Not being recognized. I had, I've been on television, I had all kinds of fame and fortune and all that good stuff, but I didn't feel anybody got me, actually saw me, uh, and they saw me. The work was, they got me out on the floor and they said, I, you know, I didn't fall for many of the ways that normally you could get a guy ready to do his work. And so the one fellow came in, a guy, guy from Minnesota, Kai, and he said, I've been watching you. You have been watching every guy do his work and paying t- close attention. Now I'm feeling bad because I sat, they said, don't sit. but I sat because my back was hurting. So I'm having my, my game in my head about nobody sees me and I kind of what, who I really am, what's going on for me. And I'm here for everybody emotionally. And he said, tell me, what did you see in that, that fellow's work over there? I said, well, that's the bravest son of a bitch I've ever met. He says, well, okay. Here's a, a, a stick on thing. We'll put that on him. And I went around every, because I waited till the end, because I, and everybody else had done their work. And um, then the guy said, In the Mankind Project, we say, if you spot it, you got it. So go back to that first man, and he's going to put that sticking on you. And then next, and next. And now my shirt is covered with all these virtues. It was like a, an incredible, and then they, Lifted me up and carried me out. Let me see the sky. And, you know, you're, you can go as high and far as you want to. Big deck. gone. Oh, deal. To be that confirmed by men, as it turned out, was the best.
2: Hmm. So, so you were seen. Somebody saw you hmm. watching others.
0: The, that's the irony. I'm, I'm in front of a million people on TV, but I never felt seen.
1: Wow. Yeah. I, I have a question for you about that. Because for for me, anyway, I'm an MKP brother as well, and I did my work very late in life. But for me, the reason I didn't feel like I was seen, for lack of a better word, was that I was always trying to do a version of myself that I thought other people wanted, right? And it wasn't it wasn't really meaningful for me to do that version, but I did it for decades because it got me certain, you know, approval, right? Exactly. It worked. Yeah. yeah
0: that's, that's right on. It's like when Charles asked me, like, why did you do that? Why? I've never, under, I don't know any whys, the answer to any whys. You asked me why anything. I don't know the answer. I'm not going to pretend I do.
1: Huh. Can you talk a little more about that?
0: Well, it's, it's a huge view as long as i hold it as a mystery yeah i have a much better chance of enjoying it if i try to create a drama about what it ought to be or the way in which i figured it out or somehow i can rationalize it it takes away this magic of being kind of afloat um, in some current my babe calls it flowing
1: yeah that's beautiful and that's
2: that's really challenging for a lot of folks so you know it can be really painful i I grew up, you know, thinking that I needed to be the smartest guy in the room and I worked my ass off, ass off being the smartest guy in the room and wondering why nobody liked me, Um, (laughs) you know, wondering, wondering why I kept getting shuffled from room to room, essentially. Um, And, you know, and and when I was able to let go of that expectation and, and it is kind of a particularly male expectation to be the expert, to know, to have the answer, to be able to fix things that when I was able to let go of that and I'm still working on this, I like knowing things. I like knowing things. What's wrong with that? What's
0: yeah. nothing wrong with
2: that. No, but as, you know, as you pointed out, like when if if you're able to be in the mystery with some with some happiness and grace around it and label it as the flow rather than label it as, you know, something else. It's like when I'm able to to know things and be happy about knowing things and able to label that it's just like a temporary joy rather than as something that I'm always grasping at, you know, there's a healthy and an unhealthy way to to be in that zone and, and being able to to be in the unknown. And, you know, you and I had uh, at least one encounter, Jan, on weekends where I was like full of fiery passion and knowingness and judgment. And you like took me around the corner of the barn or just like, yeah, you know, let me give you a, Let me give you a counter. You don't know anything. I'm like, yeah, I do. That guy is a in that opinion and that way of being. is. And you're like, no, it's not. I'm like, oh God, that drove me crazy. That drove me crazy, but I learned. You know, I'm learning a ton from it, and I'm I'm relearning that lesson right now in in communication with you. So thank you for being here today.
1: You know, I'm I'm imagining men, whom a man who might be listening to this <clears throat> this podcast, saying to himself, "Oh, so I'm supposed to not know? Like, what? How am I even supposed to like begin
0: Pay to approach attention. My animal name is Paying." Attention, yeah, because that's that's the best presupposing knowing, thinking about whatever the is not anywhere near as valuable as paying attention to what actually is going on,
1: so there's a degree of listening involved, or so, being present right. for the other, for the other that person happens. yeah I'm really right here, okay, totally,
0: really right here yeah and and within the the, the diagnosis that Charles said about. Being totally authentic outside of any boxes. Vulnerably, totally just present.
1: What what does that do in terms of like power battles and all the stuff that men have been trained to do so well? What happens when you're just present?
0: My experience is I feel better. Yeah. And it's not my job to make anything else happen. I, I came up, I was supposed to be Barack Obama. Everybody in my family said, "You're really smart. You should become some leader that's going to save our people and save the world." And I took that on pretty well, and went to Yale, and I did my stuff, and I covered that. And it turns out, it, it was driving me to be somebody. Like when you started, we were talking casually before we started talking about being authentic to who you really are. And that's what was going on. I was well. No, you said that, Mark.
2: Mark said that, yeah.
0: You, went, you were trying to be somebody and present a kind of version mm-hmm. of yourself. Well, that's what I was doing. What can I do to make you like me? Because I'm on television and I got ratings. And I'm trying to, do, trying to give you the information you want, but I really do want you to like me so that you check the box. And so I really developed that beautiful version of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, to, to kind of get, get older, old enough to know better, mm-hmm. I've decided relaxation is the, is the form of being I really want to have. Where there's so few emotional bumps in my life, in a life that's already hard enough, that I don't have, I don't have stress and, and challenges and worries very much. And I'm, I'm eliminating those as fast as I can. Well, not even as fast as I can. I'm just letting them go. I wish everybody could be retired. I wish we really could have universal basic income so, so that people could have enough to survive. What's wrong with that? We got plenty. And then Everybody could decide how and what they really actually wanted to do.
1: Yeah, there's a, whole, there's a whole argument made that if people weren't scared to death of starving or getting thrown out of their houses, we would unlock a lot of human potential, a lot of innovation, a lot of other things would begin to happen. Amazing, amazing.
2: Yep. And I just read so, in, Kim, in Kim Stanley Robinson's latest book that basically the math works out that, that evenly spread wealth around the world would give all of us $100,000 a year. Which is when people are the happiest. If you have more than that, you become less happy.
1: Mm. So, (laughs) well, it's interesting. It's an interesting metaphor too for this idea that you know we let go of the fear or the anxiety that something bad is going to happen to us when we have enough, you know, financial resources. Well, I, 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 you know, I feel like we spend a lot of time acting in ways that seek to create certainty and, and control, so that we will for sure be happy. And the end result is that we have nothing but anxiety because we can't ever stop trying to assert control all the time. And this often comes out in terms of controlling the men around us or controlling the women or children around us. And in that regard, I think that that, that makes us feel lonely. I, my work on the carpet at MKP was, I mean, I, I stepped up and when it was my turn to speak, I said, you know, given the history of my relationship with men as a child and through my adult life i i don't like men i don't trust men i'm always in competition with them they're always calling you know calling out my the way i'm doing it i hate men and i'm i'm sick to death of being alone and i think that's that's what that control 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 thing created in my life was if you're trying to do it right you're already in a bad place right trying to do it right is exhausting and debilitating and isolating and grief-inducing. And it's just a crap way to be in the world.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Amen. So Jan, I have a question for you about the work that you've done over the course of your life with MKP. And in conversation with men, I I often, at least what I've seen on social media in terms of your presence on Facebook at the Men's School, I see you posing questions and, and, and then hosting really diverse conversations around issues. And uh, and I never see you get upset in those conversations. I just see you hosting those conversations. Can you talk about what it is that causes you to continue to engage in these ways with men?
0: Sanjay Gupta said, the more active you are, the better your brain will continue to work. I have enough experience of diminishment as a grown-up, and I am having an example across the hall from me of my my babe's mother who's 89 and um, has dementia and the, the process of watching her age has me all the more vigilant about mm. keeping active mental so i play golf every day if i can and i do a lot of yoga and we go to orange theory fitness and i want to have my brain as active as possible so i'm changing which hand I'm shaving with and doing a variety of versions of how to keep my brain tripped up. But one of the things that serves me is that moderating a, a, a group like that to try to create exactly what you generously described is happening there. And it's um, it's very, because I got to go research and find content all the time, but that's a beautiful search. It's like being in that kind of school I'm producing. I'm producing, like I did on t- television, producing a program. And what I love about it is my sense, because there's so much data, there's so much content, but can I, can I get a sense that will create something, will serve people's needs, a variety of people, so you can have kind of a community feeling and can I, can I figure out a way to include the QAnon? If there's a QAnon person, is there a way I can include them, kind of? How can I do this? And so it's really active and challenging for me. And, uh, and I spend more time at it
1: than I should. Well, if you're, if you're spanning all the way to the QAnon participant, you're doing something which is incredibly difficult to do, which is to try to create a community that has a range of voices in it and keep it from burning down, you
0: know? Right. But that's our, that's our only choice, really. I mean, ultimately, that's our choice. I, I'm through making enemies in the world. You know, there was enough as I grew up. When I had a yoga center, we did a lot of circles and sitting in a circle, just like on Mankind Project, you sit in a circle and you can't help but notice that if people are, are finally feel free to speak their truth, everybody's got a little slant on what the thing is in the center we're discussing. And recognizing that makes me go, oh, there is something, not necessarily believing what that person believes, but something about that, that being involved in our conversation. That can serve us. I kick guys out if they're not polite or try to overwhelm or, or are bullies. Or, but generally, that's what I think is should be going on. We're all sitting in a big, big old circle, and nobody... Nobody's I see it my way. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can see it your way unless I'm more into sort of listening and accepting than deciding and judging.
1: Which brings up the question of of the both and also that that more than one thing can be true at the same time and that men are yes. not allowed to do that. We don't allow ourselves. We, we have to know the answer. And we have to argue the answer, and and that's also a trap for us. It creates a huge amount of stress, right? Because it's always a binary: they're wrong, I'm right. I have to argue this and all that.
2: And I'm, you know, uh, I'm 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 part of the problem when it comes to that, you know. And I recognize that this is that my in you know interactions with Jan sometimes of trying to get him to come down on one side or the other, you know, is part <laughs> is is part is a little bit part of the man trap. I mean, I do believe that there are you know, that there are truths and that there are ways of being compassionate and ways of being uh, engaged in the world that lead to more suffering than others. And I'd like to be on the less suffering side of things. But I, you know, I recognize that the energy that comes up and the, you know, you can't see it on the podcast, but like when I talk about it, like I, I clench my fists and I shake my arms because it, it means something to me. It brings up energy in me. So like talking to Jan, like I'm, I'm, Confused by by you, Jan. I'm I'm. I want to be more like you. I want to be nothing like you. Um, and this is you know this is part of what I get from interacting with men is to, uh, especially really really wise thoughtful men like you. Is like oh I'm seeing myself differently now. Hmm. Am I am I making mistakes now? And I have you know now I've got a lot to think about. And am I making mistakes that keep me on the freaking domination ladder that Mark talks about so well? Is my determination that somebody else's way of being or somebody else's political slant, is that just a way for me to beat on them so that I get to feel better about myself? Am I, am I clawing my way up the ladder, even though I say I'm off the ladder, I'm not doing that
1: anymore? Well, too, I think that when I, when I did men's work, one of the, one of the illusions that, that dropped out of it pretty quickly for me was that I needed my friends to be like me, to parallel my you know, beliefs or ideas or whatever. And what I came to understand was that I, I love I love my brothers not because they're like me, but because they hold equal regard for connection. But they may come from a very different place in terms of other ways of thinking and ideas. And in that regard, I, I learned that I was in a bubble of my own making, and I was I was also unable to connect. And that that. That combination of those two things made it difficult for me. But I find if I am, if I have a brother in the MKP who I have formed a friendship with and I have connection with, more diverse ideas or conversations can be done then. They're doable then because we have a whole nother conduit through which we communicate. And that is that, that rich sense of connection and brotherhood and, and that, that, that that friendship, that meaningful friendship. And I think most of what goes on in the world today between men is, is, does not have that friendship or connection. So all we're left with is the debate points and the, and the, I need to be, I've got to be right. And we can't hold the both and, and we can't, but we can hold the both end better with someone that we that we have formed a real relationship with. And, and that's what's missing for men. And that's what I found at the in the MKP work when I met. I, I don't know, Jan. I've, I, this is the first time I've had a conversation with you, Jan. But when I come into these spaces with MKP brothers, the first thing I feel is relief and comfort <laughs> and joy at being with with another of the men that I know has committed to connection. And I'm just like, tell me about your way of doing it. I, I, I just feel, I feel relief, you know?
0: So the jo- one, one of the things I like about the project, one of the many, is um, how much it turns guys on and gets them to move forward in their lives. There are a whole bunch of things, organizational things I've got other opinions about, but the, or the shadows, I would say. But the thing that I want to ask is, is, is this a good place to talk about your book more?
1: Uh, you know, you it's,
0: describe it because we've just framed this whole issue, and now what? What are you doing? What's the way in which your book is intended to interact with the framing we just did?
1: Well, I talk uh, I talk extensively about the ways that boys are trained out of connection and out of expression, and once that that sort of you know that natural connection that young boys have to form relationships and care about each other there's a fair amount of research around that um Niobe Way wrote a book called Deep Secrets and she talks about the process by which boys begin early adolescence saying they love their best friends and would go crazy without them and by the end of adolescence they're they're saying yeah I don't see my friend, best friend that much anymore and if they compliment them they say no homo and they just basically get trained to, to step away from those friendships uh, because they don't want to appear to be a little kid, girly or gay. That's what the data shows that in her research. So they're, these boys are concerned about proving what they're not instead of mm-hmm. who they are. And at that point, their suicide rates become four times that of girls their age. So they're trained out of connection. And then they're offered a, a version of masculinity, which is hierarchical. It's dominance-based, right? And at the top are white males and below that are other folks and the
0: quarterback is very tough
1: yeah yeah yes thank you (laughs) and and the long and short of it is they don't have a choice if they want to if they want to hold whatever position they're slotted in at based on their size and their connections and their status and their class and whatever they have to begin dominating the men around them or they will lose status uh And but the problem with a with a hierarchical status based structure of masculinity is that you can't have an authentic relationship with someone who's dominating you, everybody above you. You can't have it with someone below you that you're dominating. So my argument is we need to move away from that toward a masculinity of connection. That's basically it.
0: Can I ask you a question, Mark? Sure. I lived the life of a young man in those places and those things. And was it the era I was in was so much simpler and, you know, I grew up in the 50s, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm a grown up. Do the kids to now, are you expecting them to understand what's happening to them?
1: Well, there's a huge shift taking place around how parents parent. So, and at the same time, there was a significant cultural container in the 50s and for that matter, in the 60s, when I when I was a kid, uh, whereby women, you know, LGBTQI people, uh, BIPOC, everybody was 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 forced to create a container in which that version of masculinity was a relatively comfortable thing to do. Right. In the intervening decades, all of those populations who said we're not going to we're not we're not going to play anymore, that we want to be equal. We want to have our own agency in the world. So that container, which held that version of manhood, that, that style of dominance-based masculinity has, has ruptured and collapsed, which makes all of the bad aspects of that much worse, of that version of masculinity. So men are becoming more anxious and angry as they try to continue to assert a version of masculinity that puts them at the top of everyone else. And, it, and they're becoming more alarmed and angry and reactive. Some others are waking up and saying, oh, I I need a different way of being. Mm. And kids are in the middle of that whole shift right now. depends on what family you're you're in. It's literally contextual how your family talks about these things, how mom talks to dad, how what's being modeled for you in terms of meaning and masculinity and identity and whether there's. whether I'll I'll, I'll I'll counter
2: that a little bit about the about, you know, boys coming from different families being different because. I don't know if Jan remembers this, but I spent ten years working uh, for Boys to Men Mentoring Network in in Central mm-hmm. Arizona. So I've mentored literally, literally a thousand boys, and and seen hundreds of them go through rites of passage weekends. And it takes very little holding and framing of men, good men, healthy men, coming together under a set mm. of you know That's beautiful. ground rules for boys from. Um, trailers out in the rural areas, uh, you know, hippy-dippy houses in the cities. It kind of doesn't matter. And they're like hanging on each other's neck and telling each other that they love one another and expressing their raw vulnerability, questioning what it means to be a good man. Mm. I kind of think that the base state of young people is, as you say, Mark, I want to be connected. I want to experience love. I want to experience closeness. I want to be guided, but not cajoled uh i i don't want to be in a dominance hierarchy i want to be able to love everybody and it just takes a little bit i'm mean, you know we've had to create an entire
1: program around it but you know it doesn't take that much for all almost all of those kids but you know what it takes it takes a group of men yeah and that's what they don't have it, it when when jan asked that question he's i think he's asking about it in the absence of a group of men to help them reach that state, right? But yeah. that what you just said, Charles, is the most hopeful statement anyone could hear because it says they're ready to do this. They just need the context, right? The the location where men say, "Yeah, do it. Go ahead. We're here with you." You know, we're here. right.
0: As I understand it, I've done a lot of work, in the prisons and whatever. But the um, the idea that really the men who go to those men, uh, boys to men circles are Asked to just be available to help create a space for the boys to talk and not to try to teach, preach, or any of mm-hmm. the other kinds of ways in which, again, the, the control the control need would, would speak. You got to trust that that spirit over
1: there it knows where to go. Uh, yeah. That brings me back to your comment about flow, Jan, when you talked about I, I don't have the whys.
0: <laughs>
1: there's something akin between that idea and the idea that, I mean, anyone in our lives that we care about, sometimes when they're feeling stress and anxiety and fear and alarm, they don't need us to, to sit down and give them 20 questions and an answer. They need us to just be with them and, and, and witness what they're going through. And sometimes that's all they need. And certainly maybe in that regard, there's something to that in, in the work you were doing, Charles.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. The, this idea of, I, I call it validating in place of, of just like wherever you're at is right on. And I'm not going to try and change you. I'm not going to try and fix, rescue, advise, project, call it frapping. I'm just here for you. And, and I, I do it with my wife, whether it's she's experiencing joy. She's really excited about the snow right now. And, <laughs> and, and I'm less excited about the snow. Um, but, you know, th- th- sometimes when she's smiling and bubbly, there's a part of me that wants to bring out my kind of like cynical old man thing. And then I remember... No, I gotta validate where she's at right now. She's really excited. Yeah. Yeah. And so can I bring some excitement? Or or as you say, when she's uh when she's struggling, if I try and fix her or or rescue her, tell her, well, just do that. Or no, that that person probably didn't mean that. Your boss didn't mean to make you feel bad or whatever. That doesn't get me any relationship points, man. That doesn't get me any connection. That just gets her either like grasping more firmly at, at her, you know, she doesn't feel supported. So she's got to hang on more to that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. feeling of, of, yeah. of not being taken care of, of, of not being heard, of not being, mm. not being understood, not being
1: seen like Jan was saying. And then we're just I all stuck. I love that thing you just said, which is, I need to step out of my grumpy old man thing.
0: <laughs>
1: how many, I mean, starting early in my life going forward, how many times did I notice uh, well, notice how many times did I experience not noticing and not paying attention to, but experience this hard holding of my position in someone else's presence emotionally or in terms of work or whatever it was that this hard lockdown position that I had. And when I when I figured out late in my life that I could instead be permeable, right? Let ideas come in, let them move out find where someone is and and take that moment of joy about their they're happy about the snow wow i guess i am too look at that i your feeling became my feeling and i was able to do that and 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 yes yeah stop that holding that holding all the time you know that we're i don't know where that comes from in my life as a man but boy i've seen it in so many men
0: you, you never got to that work along your way
1: well it it's part of the work that I did, but ultimately I was able to leave it behind. That holding, that 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 rigidity, and I, and maybe that's the control, the knowing, you know, the need to know. All of that is bound up together, right? Well,
0: I'm in the midst of having regularly the law. I was really articulate. I was smart. I was really smart. <laughs> um, and uh, and occasionally I go and I just I just hit chip shots with this fellow. I ride around the corner. I interact with another person and I say, I'm trying to make a point. And I go, um, you know, that the member, other member, he goes, oh, you mean Mr. Miller? Yes, 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 Wayne Miller. Yeah, that's the guy. But as I sit in those moments of, uh oh, I do not have the words that I've always had. Yeah, yeah. I relax and go, and if I had to come up with it, I could sit here and in 10 minutes or so, I'd find it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to add any anxiety to my life because being facile is no longer necessary for me. I, I even anticipated this program in a way of going, oh, man, I hope I don't have to try and
1: say stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's some there's some uh, commitment to to gracefulness, it sounds like on your part, some and ease and not beating yourself up.
0: Bessel van der Kolk.
2: Yeah, I know that author.
0: Everybody in the world should read that book. It, it makes me so much more compassionate, em- empathetic, and um aware of why whatever difficulties are going on in our world are happening. People are fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they were raised they they had very little were mal they were maladjusted and attached as they were infants as infants. They've been in a world where their parents are stressed out. There's the whole, you know. So you know, everybody knows that drama.
2: So basically, Vessel Vessel, Vessel Hook basically says that we're all traumatized, right? That we're all kind of dealing with not something.
0: No, not all. Oh, okay. I don't think he says that. He he does a really good job of explaining what to do about it, uh, and also how pervasive it is in yeah. my in my understanding.
1: And yeah. it's housed in the body and various things like that. It yeah,
0: changes the body. Yeah, it changes the way people can or cannot think. Or react in situations. Yeah. So it's like I'm always right there about to go into that alley where it happened.
1: Yes. The
0: trauma. And and I never can leave that moment. I'm stuck there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because things that would otherwise not bother anybody makes me go back to that alley.
1: Right. Right. You know, I on an alternative way i warm or affectionate experiences you were talking about not being able to remember a, a, a the guy shooting chip shots his name i if i have a warm emotional connection with somebody if i form a meaningful friendship and i take joy in seeing someone their name comes to me oh, it's, what a blessing. it's yeah it's the more sort of random day to day getting things done connections that that i have a harder time remembering because they don't imprint upon me in the same way i guess i don't know but um but i i hear you on all those questions of you know aging and the changing i mean i'm not uh, i'm not your age but i'm close enough i turned 61 in a few days and so I'm, you know, I gotta, are you an aquarium? I am. Oh, me too. Mine's uh, February 11th. I'm February 12th. Oh that's Oh way my cool. gosh. Wow. <laughs> well, what do you know? That explains a lot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's, very, it's way cool.
2: You know, I'm not as old as either of you guys, but not, I'm I'm coming there and I'm, I'm really glad that you guys are paving the way out for me. Cause it's, this is one of the things that I don't think we know as men. We don't get, we don't get a lot of help in figuring out how to age gracefully. I'm like, I'm watching my eighty. Wow. I'm watching Woo-hoo. my eighty year old neighbors shoveling snow, and I'm really worried about them. And I'm old enough that I'm not necessarily going to go out there either.
0: Worried? Go pat that son of a bitch on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice yeah. work. I mean, he's
2: already had a heart attack.
0: Exactly. I had him on the back. Okay. Don't worry okay. Him. Well, he's I think I'm trying, I mean, trying to I, the fuck alive to get my language.
2: Right. No. I, yeah. We <laughs> can we can say fuck on this podcast. Um, I, I, from what I know about him though, Jan, it's, there's an air of desperation to it.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. There's an air of desperation <laughs> to it.
2: <laughs> but how much is, I mean, how much, I mean, of course we want to stay alive. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to be here for the beauty, for the, for the. Don't for
0: minimize the, it. Yeah. Don't minimize
2: it. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not where you are yet, but I'm, but it, there's this, there's this thing that comes out, there's this thing that comes out of some men who are older who you know you said you are you love being retired, you love not having to having to do things, and I've also interacted with some men your age who um aren't making space for that in their lives, who are fighting uh and and instead of being able to support others to mentor others to uh to accept the changes that are happening in their body to bring other people on other people on to to help and assist and to grow themselves they're just trying to stay middle-aged and that's and i and i see the fear in them not necessarily fear about dying i think it's fear about losing status i think it's fear about being further and further down this ladder of domination hierarchy
0: there it is and so it should be one of my blessings is i've started to lower my expectations (laughs) you know people who are high thinking like, you, like you're wise and interesting and you write books and you get all that stuff. And there's something about us that we want to things to be better than they are. But I think it's incredible. It's kind of almost corrosive mm. in my inner energies to want things to be other than they are. Because reality is the heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> 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 Man. Well, I'm going to be with reality and realistic that we I don't know how much brain power is in this room, but I think it's a lot. And we're talking about a lot of folks who don't have that. They're they're much more prey to the influences that are out there, the Barnum and the Bailey and the Trump and all of the ways in which people can be manipulated for profit in uh, power and all the other ways. So it, it's easier to just kind of go, OK, I'm going to lower my expectations a little bit so that
1: I'm not anxious about what's
0: actually happening
1: but mm. what, what occurs to me is that we talk a lot about iq and we don't talk enough about you know eq eq um emotional development well, that, or quotient yeah, and about the attachment you know if you if, you, if everybody yeah. would be really fully attached well we have these we others. have this the world is what it is because so many didn't get the love and the and the acceptance and they and it's still there waiting for them for us you know any man who wants to step into men's work we we don't we don't care what your IQ or EQ or anything else is we don't care we can, we ju- you know come as you are bring who you are and this invitation isn't an invitation that most men are even aware of they they don't know that that this possibility is there for them but i say to any man who's listening to us talk about it today. Some of us may have ideas about how to make the world better. Some may be more accepting of what the world is, but we are all ready to connect. And 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 you know, men are waiting to to do this this work with you so that you can have a better life and be more accepting of yourself and and your world. And I think I, I really think Jan to be in the presence of a man who is more at peace is healing. It's healing for me to be in your presence because I don't feel your anxiety. I don't feel you're anxious. I don't feel you have somewhere to be or something to do. I feel like you're with me in this moment. Right. And that's something that too few of us get to have. And I I invite men to come find that in men's work because I have found it and it has, it's given me a home that, you know, to place myself in to a hearth to sit by, if you will. Oh, beautiful you're good with the word things. (laughs) And I'm showing off all the damn time trying to prove I can talk. It's all part of being a human being. And I I accept that about myself. I'm okay with it because I really want people to know that there's love out there and we can get there from here and all of that. Uh, But
0: (laughs) I invite you to frame it as Steph Curry would frame his talent or Patrick Mahomes would frame his talent or, you know, let Tom Brady would frame his talent. I can do things that are valuable to the world around me. Yeah. Damn. Ah. Damn. Ah. How cool! I mean, I got to be on TV one year out of college, and then suddenly I'm on television in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm I'm hanging out with Willie Stargell and Mean Joe Green and wow. Terry Bradshaw, and wee <laughs> It was the coolest thing in the world. I yeah. It was. And so from I, I got from that, I went, okay, I never, I never even had this thought. I wish I had framed it in a way of, well, pay attention and really make the most of this. Yes. Instead,
1: I was just, oh. <laughs> did, you, did you have a feeling like you were an, an imposter somehow or that? No, there was I was something... no imposter. Yeah. I, I just, I was so in it. I yeah. was totally in it. Yeah.
0: Put more energy into it than I could have. I worked it so deeply and beautifully, but I didn't step outside and get perspective on, okay, what's the strategic thing to do? Yeah, yeah. My father was the best man in the world. This might be a good place to talk about fathers. Mm. My father was the best man in the world. And he, my my mother died when I was 11, and he raised me the rest of the way. And, Mm. you know, everybody's got a job. Uh, but he would come home and cook dinner for me, and take care of me, and cry every night because of having lost her. My mom was the babest, beautiful woman, amazing. Everybody loved mom, best cook, best woman, best friend, best. Da-da-da-da. And he'd cry out every night because he'd lost her. Wow. Um, other than the nights where he would have some other woman come over just to make him feel feel a little <laughs> feel a little better. But the the, the whole process was that I, I had to figure out how to become somebody who'd lost his mom at 11. And I'm not like all the other kids. Mm. I said, Dad, I'm not as popular as I think I should be. What should I do? Go to school tomorrow and you speak to everyone before they speak to you. Mm. And so it became really clear to me by the end of the day, because I had always had this image of, how does that kid have two people waiting to talk to him? Mm. I (laughs) want And so by the end of the day, I look around and there's two kids waiting to talk to me because I'd spoken in a, an incredible breakthrough. Everybody looks to be loved. Yeah. So just love. And I, I mean this not like in the mammy-pammy weird way, but actually send love energy out into the world and you get blessed in ways that are incredible. So that's kind of what I would try to do. I would, at the end of my sportscast, I'd say, the body is the temple of the spirit. Take good care. And I, I was eventually stopped from doing that by some silly management change. But it was my way of saying all of this sports that you're entranced by is yeah. actually a deflection from your own ability to enjoy your body and take care of it in an athletic way of some sort yeah. and be present in it. Body whisper yourself, what's my body trying to tell me? That kind of life. Thank you mm-hmm. for that.
2: Yeah. 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 Your dad had some wisdom. Your dad had some social wisdom there. Talk to everybody before (laughs) they say
0: anything to you. My friends would come over and they say, I'm not here to visit you, I'm here to visit your dad.
1: (laughs) Nice. Nice. You know, a a father who connects in that way with you and with your friends and creates that connection. That's a rare animal for those days, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Rare animal.
0: So I've I have felt amazingly blessed. It's an ironic and interesting dynamic. Okay, so I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a black
1: guy. It <laughs> crossed my mind. I did notice that.
0: And, uh, and so, but I was the smartest kid in their school. And as I head off to Yale, I'm caught up in recognizing the girl I'm leaving behind is being convinced by her parents that it would be bad for the children that we'd be together. My buddy was on the baseball team with me, says, hey. Touch, would you ask my sister Candy out? I go, sure. She's wonderful. She's a babe. She's, she's one of the best women in the school. And so I do. And she says, I just have to ask my parents. In Worcester, Ohio, 1970, 69 or something, 70. Um, and she comes to school the next day crying. Mm. My parents are racist. Now, my buddy had accused his parents of being racist. They had denied it. And so he figured that, that if I asked Candy out, they'd prove it to her, and and they did. Randall's a good. He, Randall became a broadcaster too. He
2: kind of he kind of threw you
1: in there like a stick, like you, a stick of dynamite. Yeah, my, gee whiz. Welcome Jan, to my family dynamic, Jan. Did he really want you to go out with his sister or was he just trying to blow his parents up? He was trying to blow
0: his parents up because Randall and I were competing to be the first baseman on the baseball team. And he (laughs) was kind of like, he's always, well, anyhow. So so I think he was being manipulative. But the, the, the irony is, is when Candace comes to school the next day crying, I embrace her and hold her and comfort her. Well, at 18 and 17, I think she was at the time, that's enough to turn on all the chemicals. Yeah. And the chemicals got turned on. Now we're hot for each other and I comfort her all day between classes and da da da, da. then I walk home afterwards and I it dawns on me I said wait a minute wait a minute. I'm captain of the baseball team I have the highest grade point average in the school I've never been in trouble in any way or any time and I'm not okay for that girl to date holy shit Boom! this was my first personal introduction to Something I'd seen in the distance. Oh, it's going on I live in a little small town in Ohio. I read nothing was going on there. It was really pretty calm. No there's a trouble. So anyhow, so that, that's the, my story. I'll share.
1: Well, I would, I would invite you, Jan, uh, to also, you know, we know this masculinity work is very different for black men than it is for white men. You know, and and also the larger conversation. Right. Who's who's getting to run it? Who's getting to be the lead voices in it? You know, the Jordan Petersons and the whoever Paul Kibble, who started a lot of these ideas about uh, our culture of masculinity, you know, in the 1980s, he got in touch with the guy that coined the term man box. Right. Yeah. He, He said, you know, Mark, I like your book. It's a good book. It's a nice book but you're not talking about black people. And until you start talking about black men, you're only doing half of the masculinity conversation. So since then, I've sort of tried to make it my business to not only to elevo- elevate the voices of black men who are talking about masculinity, because that's, a, that's an important piece of the conversation. But I've had, I've had men in that conversation say, well, the reason white guys don't want to talk about masculinity from the black perspective is because you only get about five minutes into that conversation and you get to racism and white men aren't really comfortable engaging that whole conversation. They're afraid they're going to mess it up or they don't, they don't, they just want to pretend it's not happening. So here you are, a a man who's done MKP work for a long time, a man who's leading a lot of conversations. And I I wanted to take a moment since you opened the door to that, to, to share your thoughts about it.
0: Frame it for me really quick. Like what, what's the question really? What are you, what are you asking?
1: Do you, think the, do you think masculinity work is different from the perspective of a black man than it is from the perspective of a white man? Or do you think it's all the same work?
0: Ah, my hallucination about this is that we, we hold these categorical notions almost without any scientific validation to be true. Like black guy's work is going to be different than a white guy's work, but everybody's work is the result of a phenological experience of the cultural way in which they were raised and brought to bearing and about everybody. Yeah. So, so to try to divide it into that category, I, I think let me try and be really deep and authentic with you. I'm called to talk about how I don't like isms and I don't like cultural conversations about how we are different because my perspective is it's all bullshit we are not different we are some amazing amalgam of the same bioform. yeah like we're connected in ways that we're part of the same thing so to pretend that that part is different than that part is like cutting off the arm or pretending that i don't have a leg or in some way i'm not this whole being yeah so if I'm a whole being, I'm only going to be able to function if I stay connected to everybody and everything. So I can't go blind. They would do this. They would do this thing on weekends as part of the stuff for staff. And they would say, OK, who everybody's got a college degree to go to that side. Everybody doesn't have a college degree to go to that side. All right. all right. Everybody who had uh, total family, everybody had a, a different kind of family. And they would do this. And I was, I, would sit, I would stand dead ducking in the middle of this room and not go anyplace, no matter what they say. Black people on one side, white people on the other. I ain't <laughs> doing it. I'm not playing that stupid game. Yeah. I'm not. Why are we here? We're here to help men grow and develop and have an experience they never could have imagined in their lives. Why are we trying to separate ourselves? Why are we trying to break down this beautiful bond that we're all here manifesting? I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I was very upset about it. And I would, I would try to sabotage it. Um, we, we had a weekend process once where they tried to do that and they broke us down into races and places. And this one fellow, he came out and he says, so I'm a little confused. Uh, I don't mean to make it a voice to be demeaning. I'm just trying to separate it from mine. He says, I, I don't know what to do because I was raised by black people. He, I'm, he says, I'm white but I was raised by black people in a black neighborhood my whole life. I am black. My experience has made me black. And these people may not exist. I said, please tell them, please help them. Break out of these boxes and this mm. insanity that I can tell something about you until I've known you for and told you my truth and you tell me your truth. And yeah. let- Mark, your face has changed during the time we've talked because – I really begin to see you and it's satisfying and it's beautiful. So I'm perceiving you differently than I did in the beginning. Right. This is a wonderful thing that happens when people just
1: open to each other. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And I've already had this argument with Jan, but.
2: I'm not going to, I'm not going to win. And winning's not important, right? We're supposed to be on, we're not, we're not supposed to be on the the pecking order. We're not supposed to be in a a win-lose situation here.
1: And and we have to ask ourselves, you know, is there a both and here where we can hold a multitude of different ways of thinking about this and bring the ones in that are, that are a good fit in the right moment, right? Like connection, you know, Jan just made an eloquent argument for connection across difference and to not let those definitions keep us apart. Yeah. And I can't argue with that. I can't no. argue with
2: that. No, and I, and I won't argue with that either. I mean, I, you know, I believe, I believe, Jan, that you speak, you know, a fundamental truth that isn't obvious on the surface and isn't obvious enough on the surface. And I love those fundamental truths. I mean, you know, the, the fundamental truth I talk about all the time is that on the one hand, I am literally made out of stardust. You were made out of stardust. Mark is made out of stardust. We are literally comprised of the atoms that have been created in an exploding supernova. So that's, that's a truth. And the other part of the truth is that I eat really well-prepared, beautiful, organic food and turn it into shit. That's that's also true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we can hold all of it at the same time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So holding them both at the same time, holding it both in the same time that you and I are no different and fundamentally the same. Mark is fundamentally the same. We're all freaking human beings. And the idea that my experience is different than yours and different than Mark's and that skin color, unfortunately, in our culture... It is has been used as a dividing line, very intentionally, not oh, just it's, not it's just allowed, out of
1: happenstance, but yeah, it's allowed one population to accrue all the resources. I mean, it's a it's a brutal power game, but but also there's a multiplicity of ways to look at this. And Jan has granted me permission to look at it another way, and I'm not going to say no to him. I'm not going to do that because no, exactly. that's antith- antithetical to any kind of connection moment. And and he's right. On one level, on a perfect level, he's right. So, yeah, and I guess, you know, I would suggest that this kind of uncomfortable conversation that that that, that is for so many people, if we don't get in the the habit of having it with everyone we meet about and sort of get get this conversation moving in more organic human ways, we're going to constantly be avoiding it, you know, turn right, don't talk about it. So-
0: perhaps we could come up with a set of very simple opportunities. Like if I ask more questions, instead of saying what I think is true, I might be benefited.
1: Yes, that's beautiful.
0: Or if I listen and try to find out what I like about what someone's saying, it might be beneficial to me because what I feel is a kind of reactivity going on in the culture We've already agreed that we live in a pandemic of stress and trauma. Yeah. And so in that setting, everybody is easily triggerable or taken back into that alley and the vision they have of what tragic trauma they experienced. Yeah. The war, the bomb going off under their trailer. So if we recognize that, again, sort of like, oh, no, this is what's real. What are the kind of easy five steps... You're smart. I know you could figure this out. That would that would speak to here's how you handle it. Here's what you do. Mm. I I tell all my clients, first thing you get, you gotta let go of it. It's this attachment to all this stuff, Mm. like the need for control and the way that gets us in trouble. Because I worked with an organization in California called Six Seconds. Beautiful, bunch of women, just badass. And they, they got it. That if you, if you did all the research, if you can wait six seconds, you can make a rational decision. If you make a decision inside of six seconds, it's likely to be an emotional decision. So whoever came up, but I, I shouldn't know. I haven't studied this guy. The guy who did the relaxation response, badass. That's the best thing. If everybody could learn the relaxation response, because we live in a world of high stress and trauma and scarcity. and the fear of poverty and the relational
1: insanity. And we've all been, we've all been trained to do binaries. So
0: yeah. if, if we aren't all screaming aloud, it's only because it would be embarrassing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so I think that that's a way if you could, if, you, if this is an inspiration, because you know, I'm old, I don't want to do this. <laughs> But I think something, somebody ought to do it, and you're already a writer. You got outlets and whatever. I certainly posted on the men's group. Come up with some
1: cool. I appreciate it, and I, you gave, a, you had a great idea there, which was if you ask questions, you said two things. You said listen for the parts that you agree with, but you also said something before that: if you ask more questions instead of coming to a conclusion right away, which is basically holding uncertainty about someone, because you instead of jumping to conclusions. I think those are two great starting points, Jan. Maybe we can build it out from there. I love it. Those are great practices.
2: And take those, take those six seconds. We got three out of the five already. I think, I think we're well on the way. Yeah. 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 Jen, I want to, I want to kind of wrap up and, and let everybody get on with their day, but I want to give you an opportunity if you want to take it to address the audience directly to, to address whatever men might be listening to, as we were saying before we started recording, you know, what would you say to, to a man who's trying to figure out how to, uh live a life of more connection, less competition, um, more more ease and unknowing and less less uh unproductive certainty. What would you what would you do to, to, to beckon him across the across the room, across the divide, into the into it would, it would do something about in front of the fireplace. what would you do to beckon him to
0: the to invite, the hearth? I would invite him to i I invite you to exhale completely if you can get all the way to the bottom and pause there you'll begin to recognize a kind of spaciousness and timelessness and presence that can then emerge as a next inhale and when you take the inhale pretend you're gomer pile and you're standing as tall as you can shoulders back neck long head back right on the top of the spine chest coming forward and pull your belly in to feel this incredible inflation of the body you're tall and if you're standing you're sitting squeeze your legs together a little bit let that energy come all the way up through your body and then take another exhale and then look around and decide what you need to do next yeah. to be the man you would like to be if it doesn't appear to you from the present situation take another breath Complete exhale all the way to tall, badass, John Wayne, whoever you like. And then as you exhale, remember, what is it I was going to do? What was the thing I really wanted to do? Who do I really want to be today? What would be fun? What would be the, the smartest thing I could do for this? Thank you for that opportunity.
2: Thank you, Jan. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm sitting up taller than I was at the at the start yeah. of this at the start of
1: this interview. That feels good. I, I got to go I got some stuff to go do now. I got to go do my stuff.
2: Yeah. This this has been lovely and I, you know, we do this podcast
1: ostensibly for other people, but really it's for me. Thank you, Jan. Bless your heart. Thank you, guys. I'm so glad I got to meet you in person now. Yes. Thank you, Mark. All right. Awesome. Until we meet again. Next, bye. bye, Jan. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on the
2: Remaking Manhood podcast. You can connect with me, Charles Matthews, and find more of my writing and speaking on the website charlesmatthews.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-S-M-A-T-H-E-U-S scom You can also interact with me and with other men who are working to craft authentic, workable
1: masculinities in the group Redefining Strength on Facebook. You can find me, Mark Green, on most social media platforms at Remaking Manhood, and you can find me at RemakingManhood.com. Dr. Carolyn Heldman has this to say about The Little Me Too Book for Men. It's a profoundly empathetic guide for men who are navigating a culture that pressures them to bury their humanity. The Little Me Too Book for Men is a powerful call to end the epidemic of sexual assault against girls and women. If you'd like to help someone you love break out of the man box, pick up a copy of my book, The Little Me Too Book for Men. It's available at Amazon.com and at Barnes & Noble online. Just do a search for little hashtag me too book for men. Don't forget the hashtag. And thank you for supporting our work. This has been Remaking Manhood, the Healthy Masculinity Podcast.